Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is pure spiritual milk. We pray that we would hunger for it like an infant hungers for nourishment. We thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us and what he is doing within us by your spirit. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. And uh, there are a few sweet sayings that you might appreciate. A mother does the work of 20 people for free. And sooner or later, we all quote our mothers. (laughs) Now, a mother's relationship to her child is sacred and unique, built into the created order by the one who made us all. Yet, there are aspects of a mother's relationship to her child that actually must permeate the church. We find it in the passage, sincerity, devotion, depth, and earnestness. God's people here are marked by familial love. When Peter says that we are to express brotherly love, the word is literally Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Well, the church, the body of Christ, in a sense, is to be Philadelphia. We are the city of brotherly love. We've seen in 1 Peter that believers in Christ are redeemed by Jesus' precious blood. We've sung about it this morning. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. We've been rescued from our guilt and our empty ways of living. And we've been bound to God in grace and therefore to one another. And that link between knowing God and knowing and being connected to each other is inextricable all throughout the New Testament. Perhaps you've heard a variation of this quote from the early church father, Cyprian, who said, he who would have God as his father must have the church as his mother. That's an appropriate quote for today. See, your personal relationship with Jesus is tied to your relationship with the church and his relationship with the church, the body for which he died and which he loves. Dear friends, we absolutely need each other to spiritually thrive. I need you, you need me, we need each other. One writer has said that there are two things that we cannot do alone. One is to be married and the other is to be a Christian. We have to relate to one another. Now we saw last week, earlier in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, that Peter quoted Leviticus 19.1. And Peter quoted the words from Leviticus where God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. You are my beloved children and you're to imitate me. Now, we also mentioned that this is not an attitude at all of being holier than thou, thinking that we're better than other people, but rather it is being holy in Christ. Not because of what we have done, but solely based on what he has done. And so as we grow in holiness, we express a genuine affection for one another. 
Peter says we are to make our love for each other earnest, eager, enthusiastic, deep, tender, and strong. You see, what God is doing in this letter is he is calling us to be an alternative society. We hear so often about alternative lifestyles in our culture, which actually are becoming now the dominant ways of thinking in many ways, but it's actually the church that is to be an alternative society. We are bound together, you see, not by our personalities or, or by our political convictions, ultimately, or our ministry strategies, or our taste in music, or ethnic commonalities or differences, but we are bound together because Jesus, God in Jesus Christ, has made us his people. And so this entire letter is helping us to cultivate a Christian community as it was speaking to new believers who were scattered in a pagan empire that was opposed to them. And friends, I think we all are sensing that the world is pushing back against the church more and more. So we can really relate to what these early Christians were feeling. They were people in exile because they belonged to the God who had saved them in Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at two themes that really are woven throughout this short passage. We're going to look at generated by the living word, generated by the living word, and loving one another genuinely. So first, generated by the living word. Again, we saw earlier in this series, 1 Peter 1.18, actually we looked at it last week, and it, it reminds us that God has redeemed us from guilt and emptiness. What would ultimately be, apart from Jesus, the sound of fury signifying nothing. We have been saved from that. All of us have been. And God has bound us to himself, and again, to one another. And so Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now let me pause here. What he could be referring to, and he seems to be referring to here, is the once and, all, once and for all cleansing that we experience in Jesus. We have been set apart for him. That's what to be holy means. We have this new position in Christ. We are definitively His people. And so that's a once and for all act. You have been set apart or sanctified or made pure by the work of Christ and your union with Him. But Peter is also saying here that that definitive act has ongoing consequences. And so God's Word cleanses us. We, we grow in a life of love as God works in us. And so Peter says that your new life was brought forth through the truth of God, the message of Jesus, the Scripture. Now, he gives a contrast. He basically says that we entered this world through perishable seed. As soon as we were born, um, we grew, but cells were also dying. 
And as the years go on, you, you begin to experience more of what that's like. But then Peter says, God regenerates us. We saw on Easter Sunday that we have been born again to a living hope through the power of God in the good news of Jesus. And so God regenerates us through the imperishable word. The word of the living God. You see, God's speaking is God's acting. What God says, God does. Now, our words influence people. You can think of a mother's words to her kids. If they're harsh, some of you have in your lifetime experienced that perhaps. It can have an impact on you. But I think more of you have been built up by the nourishing and encouraging words of your mothers. And so that influences, our words influence people. But God is so much more. God's word creates. It brings reality into existence. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all of their host. And so now Peter says, when God looked over the, the spiritual abyss, the void, if you will, of our fallen and sinful humanity, he spoke, and new life sprang forth. In other words, we believed in Christ, and we were made new in our union with him. James 1.18 says, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's referring to our new life in Jesus. Now, Peter contrasts God's word with the fading things of this life. He quotes Isaiah saying, all flesh is like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The glory of our flesh fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It's because it remains throughout the ages as that which belongs to the age to come. It is the word of God and it lasts. Now again, let's think of the contrast. Human life from the preborn, the unborn, to middle age, to youth, back up a bit, <laughs> uh, to retirement age, to old age, to near death, all of human life is extremely valuable to God. People cannot diminish that value. Human life is beautiful from start to finish. And yet this is saying that our lives in this present order are like a vibrant Mother's Day bouquet. Um, my mom should get hers today. <laughs> It'll be on her kitchen table with all its orange and pink, and we took a while to get the right colors there. Liz said, you pick, you know. Um, that bouquet will be glorious here today, not gone tomorrow, but three days after tomorrow. And our human glory is like that. Wonderful and beautifully made, fearfully made, and yet fading as it now is. But God's word does not fade or diminish because he does not fade or diminish. God's word grants life because he is life. 
And friends, there's a crucial phase or, or phrase at the end of this section, and it's in verse 25, and it sums it all up. After Peter quotes Isaiah, he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you, proclaimed to you. Now, we were so blessed to see last week um, a, a senior in high school who's helping us today with our audio and visual. She, she joined the church. If you were here, you heard the story, but let me share it with you. Um, she started to research through a friend's um, input, start, started to research Christianity, um, began to read the Bible, uh, looked up a church, bicycled to our church, tied up her, or locked her bike out at the fence there, and she began to hear the preached word here. She heard it and listened to it and read it online, read her Bible, and last week she was baptized. The new life of God comes to us as Jesus is presented in the preaching of his word. It's so encouraging to see this. And friends, as we are growing in this new life that we have, the new life that God's word has given to us, we begin to learn what it means to become God's alternate society or, or a different way of relating. And again, the church is countercultural in the way that we love. And so we've seen that we're generated, our life is generated by the word that is abiding, that is eternal, that is living. And this brings about loving community that is genuine. And so Peter says at the first verse of our reading, having purified yourself by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And so he begins to give these different descriptors of what our love is to be. To say it's sincere, friends, means it's not phony. It's not put on. It is free from hidden agendas. We're not here to sell things to each other. It is love without hypocrisy. Literally, the Greek in the early meaning was don't, uh, hypocrisy meant like an actor going on stage and putting on a persona. Now that's that's fine in the theater, but in our relating, we are not staging ourselves for each other. That's why I've called this sermon genuine love. Sincerity is genuineness. We are to be real. Now, it's fascinating to me, and some of you know this, that um, Instagram has developed a new app that is taking Gen Z in particular by storm. It is growing in popularity. It is called Be Real. <laughs> and those two words are wedged together, Be Real. It is one of the hottest social media apps out there. It's skyrocketing again in its popularity. And in my understanding, some of you may use it. I, I don't. <laughs> uh, but you get a front. The front camera takes a shot. The, the back camera takes a shot on your iPhone, and if you're going to post a photo to a group of friends, everyone has to post at the same time, so you sort of have a, a live um, representation of what everyone is doing uh, without 
all the editing. In fact, there is no editing feature in this app without, without, as one article called it, all the fancy adjustments and so forth. And I think what's really interesting, because we can so often be critical of these kinds of things and social media or whatever, but I think it's indicating, and, and so many articles are talking about this, the desire, especially for younger adults, to be authentic, not to have to stage ourselves. We are all longing for this kind of real self-disclosure. Now, I think we can ask if, you know, showing a picture of a partially eaten plate of food versus a really well staged one, if that's going to really help us connect. Um, if I show a picture of my messy hair rather than my combed hair, um, I'm not sure that will really build community. <laughs> but the longing is there to be authentic. And Peter is saying that what we have in Christ, in the gospel, is a call to authentic relating, to genuine loving. The gospel was there long before the Be Real app was. <laughs> we were together, a group of pastors, a few weeks ago in our presbytery. It's the gathering of our, um, the kind of the next level of all the churches in our area. And uh, we had a report from one of the churches at this meeting, and we all appreciated it was a newer church, that the pastor talked as much about the struggles, his own foibles, the mistakes that he made, the way that he was maybe too hard driving with his vision, and the board of leaders or the session, um, they, they had to really work through strategy. They agreed on the gospel, they agreed on Jesus, but how to get things done, they didn't always agree, and, and it was painful. It was like a family. And, and so he shared this, and uh, one of the pastors in the group prayed for him and their church. And, and this pastor who prayed has a tendency to, tendency to be very raw, to be real. Uh, he's not a person that comes across like he's staging himself. And so and he, he's a big guy with a big voice, and he prayed, uh, God, you know, so often... We are just a hot mess trying to get ready for the weekend. <laughs> and all the pastors started laughing, you know, because we all know that to be true. I think you folks know that to be true. So often, life is messy. And though we present ourselves as put together, we sense, man, it was a hot mess this week. And so this is the place where we can be real. You see, what Peter is calling us to here is building relationships, and this takes work. He calls us to love one another earnestly and strenuously. We are to stretch ourselves. We are to aim to get to know each other in the body of Christ, not simply people who are like us, but people who are different. Now, except for those of you who are the most extra, extroverted, <laughs> getting to know others can be a challenge. It can be, it can be tiring. Um, the Babylon Bee, years ago, 
had, a, had an article that, that showed a guy, and I think he was out in his car, and it said, man dies of old age in church parking lot after waiting for his wife to finish socializing at church. I think some of you men feel that way. Candidly, sometimes the pastor feels that way about his wife. Some of you, some of us, are extremely uh, extroverted, and you get all of your energy being around people, but all of us are to put in the work. We are to be strenuous and invest ourselves in trying to get to know others. And again, this includes people who are different from us and not in our immediate group. When I was a, a youth pastor in my previous church just a few year, years ago, <laughs> um, we were getting ready. We were at the church parking lot. And we were heading out to Lake Mead. We had five ski boats coming or six, a huge, big trip, 50 high schoolers, a bunch of leaders, a fun, exhausting weekend. One of the reasons I was launched into, okay, I'm done with youth ministry. It's wonderful. It's wonderful, but <laughs> I've got... God's calling me to something else now. But I was in the parking lot there, and the group of seniors that I knew really well, that I was in a small group with, that I was mentoring, that were getting ready for college, that were heading into that collegiate mindset, they were all talking and, and sort of clustered there. And a young freshman who was shy showed up. He was going on the trip. He didn't really know anyone and, you know, as the youth leader, I went over and talked to him and asked him questions and sort of thought I need, you know, what, what more can I ask him? Uh, you know, and I just was hanging out with him. And then from this popular group came one of the key leaders, the student leaders. I didn't ask him. He walked over. He started asking him questions. He hung out with him. He befriended him on the water ski trip. And I thought, that pictures the kind of thing that Peter is talking about. The church is not to be a segregated high school campus, but we are to reach out to one another in love. And so this means that we speak authentically. It means that we are real. It means that as we talk with one another, we learn to become better listeners. When people are sharing their stories, and I had to remember that this week, what I'm going to say here, uh, somebody that I was talking to was really opening up about struggles and joys, the joys of Christian living, but also some of the ways that, that he was weary. And I was listening to some of this, and I thought, oh, I've got some things I can share from my life that'll relate to this guy. And I thought, i got to wait. <laughs> it's not taking his story and turning it into mine, I've got to wait. I've got to wait and let him share his story. And so as we speak to one another, we listen. But it also means that, yes, we are willing to talk and to share about our fears and our doubts and our joys so that we can rejoice with each other as well as grieve with each other so that we can hope with each other and also walk alongside each other in our disappointments. This also means that we have to just sometimes push through our awkwardness. It means that we bear each other's burdens and again, each other's joys. 
And friends, I don't want to have us let suffering scare one another away. When people are hurting, we need to be there for them. We don't lecture them. We don't push them away with pious platitudes. We take the initiative. We try to remember what they share with us, what you share with each other, with me, and vice versa. And we come back to each other and say, hey, I prayed. You know, some of you know what this is like when a person comes back and says two or three weeks later, how did that go? I've been praying for you. And as we talk with one another, we are to exercise patience and humility. And we are to be there because real love means getting into real problems. There's a pastor named Dave Furman who wrote a book called Being There. He pastors in Dubai, not, not here, but in Dubai. And he does so, uh, at least when he wrote the book, he, he does so with chronic pain. It's tough to button his shirt. He's, he's got some real medical challenges. But in that weakness and brokenness, he has learned to come alongside others who are hurting. And he wrote this in Being There, in order to carry the weight you must come up right beside the person and relieve some of the weight that he or she is carrying. This isn't easy work. It's going to cost you something, but as we do that, the Lord helps us strengthen our connections. And friends, you'll find so often, and many of you know this, that as you reach out with the love of Christ, as, as you and I get out of our own heads, and get into the stories of each other, we find that our own needs and our own struggles and our own pain in those things, we gain perspective because we are learning more of Christ's genuine love for us. What Peter is talking about here again in this sincere, strenuous love, it means that we show up and it means that we do not easily give up on each other as the culture does because Christ is so graciously devoted to us through it all. And so I want you to think about for this week, how can you pursue brotherly, sisterly love toward your siblings in Christ as you express, as you live out the bonds that we have in Jesus? I have been so encouraged by the care team of this church a number of you who, and we saw the slide earlier about the ways that you're caring for one another, about the quiet ways folks in this church reached out to folks during the lockdown and gave them cards and care packages and so forth. And I heard, you know, I got the thanks for it from some people. And it's like, nope, that's the care team. We've got folks that are going out and showing the love of Jesus to one another, to you all, uh, but then also to people out in the world. But Peter says we're not only to show these beautiful traits, he also tells us to put off some negative things. It's almost like the image of when you're, it's really hot and you're wearing a down jacket in the summer and you want to get it off, you go into a hot room, the AC's not working, you want to shed these traits. And so Peter says, because you have put on Christ and you have this new life in him, 
put off these old ways, the ways of the world. And these traits are more and more beginning to define our culture right now. He says, put off malice. Malice is everywhere, friends. It is everywhere. Put off those things that stir dissension in the body of Christ. Do away with envy. Are you ever jealous of other Christians? I have been in the last few months. Not of material things, but but other things. And I think you know that experience. We have to put off jealousy. We have to put away those things that can erode our relationships, the way that we speak not only to each other but about other people. That means we get rid of gossip and slander and harsh words. Now friends, this doesn't mean that we avoid tough topics. Christians should always be aiming, we should be aiming to align our our views, all of our views with the Word of God and not simply our own whims or what the culture is saying. And this sometimes means that we have to have very strong principled discussions that can even lead into vigorous debate. And, And the larger body of Christ is having these debates right now. I've actually been involved with some of them. Um, I have a Christian brother, and we've been sharing different articles and and agreeing, but but sharing some different perspectives on all that's going on in the culture where Christians agree on, on the main things, but sometimes have differences as to strategy and so forth. And this brother wrote back to me and said, after sending one of those articles that was full of both truth and love, this brother said to me, there's just no substitute for this kind of careful, substantive dialogue between serious persons of goodwill. You see, that reflects what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind. It is not rude. It is not irritable or resentful. Love is also not squishy. It doesn't back down. It speaks the truth, and it speaks the truth in love. And as we think about how we relate in this way, I want us to reflect here at the end on Jesus' words in John 13. He says to his followers, to us, a new command I give to you, Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by winning Twitter arguments. Not by gotcha points. But by expressing Love to one another as the people of God. That will spill over and the world will take notice. Now again, friends, I think a lot of us feel like right now we are in a time that is unprecedented. But I want you to remember that 1 Peter was written 2,000 years ago to Christians who were in the midst of a vast, ruthless, brutal, cruel, 
pagan empire. There was no democracy. There was no voting. And we are so privileged to have that. We can make an impact. But those folks didn't have that. They felt what it meant to be outcasts and exiles. And yet the command to love one another applies to us just as much today as it did to them in the first century. One pastor has said that the call to love one another transcends time and circumstances and ethnicity and national identity and all ebbs and flows in the culture. Friends, the call to love is the essence of holiness. And it is the vision, Christ's vision for this church. We as leaders want us to be so captivated by the gospel of Jesus that we can't help but love each other in the way that he has loved us. And so Peter ends, and this is such an appropriate imagery on Mother's Day, like newborn infants who long for the nourishment of their mothers. So you must long for the pure spiritual milk, which is God's Word. You see, in God's Word, we find Christ speaking to us. And we are conformed more and more to Him. Christ fulfilled for you what He wants from you. He fulfilled for you what He wants from you. And think of who Christ was for you. He showed no malice when others treated Him with malice. He was truthful when He was slandered. And He loved genuinely and earnestly and deeply, sacrificially. And He did this for you and me so that we would love in kind. And the world will take notice and see what Jesus is truly about. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray that the words of 1 Peter would deeply change us. That we would become more and more people who, who love earnestly, sincerely. Help us to be real and authentic. Help us to be uh, honest about our own struggles, not in a way that's maudlin or that puts us on stage, but in a way that uh, shows that we need your mercy and care as much as every broken sinner here in the church and in the world. God, I pray that, that we would always aim to show up, that we would not give up on each other, on your church, we thank you that you have purified us, that you have set us apart once and for all, but that you are also growing us into this life to become what we are, to mirror Jesus. And God, as we are in the midst of a culture that is just uh, expressing malice and rage and animosity, 
And these words are being thrown about more and more. As people are shouting at each other, and that they're, where there's so much concern about rhetorical and actual violence, God, I pray that we would be a true counterculture, that we, we would be bold to speak your truth, that we would not be wallflowers, that we would not be squishy, that we would not be timid or fearful, but that we would speak your truth, but that we would do so with great humility and love toward one another. When we have disagreements, help us to have principled disagreements. Help us to go back to your word. Help us to grant each other the benefit of the doubt. Help us not to be rude. Help us not to be irritable. Help us not to demand our own way. But God, help us to be like Jesus. We are so grateful that when the world treated him with utter demonic malice, when all hell was unleashed on him, he loved. And he loved all the way to the cross so that we would be loved by him into the kingdom and so that we would become more and more like him. Now, Father, we pray as we are about to take his supper that we would long for the spirit, uh, the true pure spiritual milk of Christ and his truth and his word. We thank you that Jesus is preached to us. May we never grow tired of this good news. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.